I'm going to have you turn, if you would, to Psalm 106, and then you're going to have to participate in some of the worship here. So turn to Psalm 103, I'm sorry, 103. You're saying, wait a minute, my bulletin says 103. I'm at 103. I might get through this, who knows. Psalm 103. And uh, you probably, many of you, know this little chorus. So you're going to help me sing it. Okay, you're going to help me sing it, all right? Are you at Psalm 103? How's it start out? Good, you got it. You got the first word. You got it down. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Bless His holy name. That's what we're going to do this morning. And uh, we're looking at Psalm 103, and you're going to count your many blessings. Now, we're going to end with that song, but we're going to count our many blessings as we go through this. And when you read through Psalm 103, something's missing. I wonder if you could read through there and find out what's missing. Now, I'm going to help you. What's missing is there's no petition or request of God. Isn't that something? Boy, David's heart is filled full of praise and blessing to the God who saved him, his God. And he asks nothing, he just blesses him as we just sang that song this morning. W. Graham Scroge writes uh, concerning Psalm 103, he says, In form and substance, our psalm is wonderful. As to form, it has 22 verses, the number of letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and the covenant title, Lord, occurs half that number of time. 11, in other words. It ends as it begins with, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The verses are of equal length as to structure and consist regularly of two members. End of quote. Arnold Gabeline states that many notable hymns of the church have the 103rd Psalm as a foundation. So as we go through these 22 verses, you might think, about different hymns that you've learned and sung that are tied to Psalm 103. Now, there are many ways we could outline this, and I'm sure I don't have the very best outline, but I'm going to use this outline because it will help us to bless the Lord and put things in sequence, I think, to some degree. We're going to begin by reading verses 1 through 5. I'll try not to sing it. I'll read it, okay? (laughs) Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits, who pardons all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. We begin in your outline, if you want to use that in your bulletin there, For personal blessings, for personal blessings, we're going to now focus on blessings God has given to you personally. For personal blessings, bless the Lord. I wonder what that was for a minute, but we're still here. Okay. 
The Lord hasn't come back. Number one, number one, bless God for His character, especially as it relates to you personally. Bless God for His character. Verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His what? Holy name. His character. Holy name. Again, Graham Scrogg, you mentioned the term for God in Psalm 103 is Lord. It occurs 11 different times here in the 22 verses of Psalm 103. And the Hebrew word translated Lord is that word Yahweh. You might remember that because Moses came up and that is God introduced himself and he said, well, who should I say sent me? He said, Yahweh, which is best we can uh, translate that is, I am that I am has sent me. And especially it has impact with God's redemptive work. Well, that ought to have connection for you and me who are saved. It has connection with his redemptive work, Lord, Yahweh. You might remember John 8 when uh, Jesus was confronted by the religious uh, leaders And he said, before Abraham was, what? I am. They knew immediately what he was doing. You're making yourself out to be the redemptive God of the Bible. Because they picked up stones to stone him. So that's the word that's used here. To bless God's holy name is to bless the revealed character of God. You're blessing his revealed character. Think about that. Mankind in the billions often speaks about God. They do so flippantly. They do, they take his name in blasphemy. And they know absolutely zero about God. Some don't even believe he exists. Others think he's the good old man up in the sky, whatever. But they know zero about God. But that's not true with you and me. God has revealed Him and His holy name to us in the Scriptures. We know Him. He has redeemed us. We belong to Him. And therefore, He says what? Bless His character. Bless His holy name. In fact, if you want to look at Psalm 103, it actually describes God's character in action. You'll see that. God's character. what he, Who He is in action here. Surely for the personal blessing of God's revealing Himself to you, same with me here, you and I must bless the Lord. Think for a moment. I did that this morning as I was going over my message of an individual I know real well who does not know God. I think what a contrast between that person and myself because I do know God. I love God. I walk with God in fellowship as you do if you're redeemed. But think about a person you know who does not know God. What a deep gulf there is and what a difference between you and that person. So bless God for his character. But number two, a personal blessing, bless the Lord. Number two, bless God for his forgiveness. Bless him for his forgiveness. Verses two and the first part of three. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Why? Because we tend to forget him, don't we? We don't think much about them. And he says, forget none of his benefits who pardons all your iniquities. What a staggering thought. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful thought. Though verse 2 exhorts us to forget none of its benefits, surely at the very top of the benefits to you and me is God's, listen, total, total and complete forgiveness of all your and my sins. That is so staggering. The more you walk with God and the closer you get to what's, what's going to happen, you're going to find yourself that much more exceedingly sinful. 
because you're coming close to an absolute three times holy God. And yet to think, I, Lord, I'm in your presence and you welcome me in your presence and I'm so sinful and you completely, 100% forgive me of all my sins. Something that I teach here from the scriptures that I want every one of you to get down in your heart because it's so wonderful. When you get to heaven, if you're redeemed, if you're truly born again, when you get to heaven, not one of your sins will ever be brought up. Where's the amens to that? Come on, you people. That is incredible to me. Not a one of them will be brought up. Now, there's an issue of gaining or losing reward. That's, that's another issue. But not a one of our sins will be brought up because God took care of them at the cross through His Son. It, it's such a staggering thing. And I think about David who wrote this. Now, I don't know whether he wrote this before he fell with Bathsheba and he had Uriah, her husband, killed. I don't know. But I know he wrote Psalm 32 and he wrote uh, Psalm 51 to talk about his experience of going through that. And I, I just see the incredible relief in his heart to know I am completely forgiven, totally accepted. And isn't it wonderful that God right now is always this way to you and me? I'm glad he is. Believe me, he's always this way to you and me. Kami says, that's why we have communion here to remember him. And he says, listen, I want you to get your feet clean that got dirty. By the way, how many of you, how many of you, you made it through the whole week and never sinned this last week. How many were those hands? How many of you are liars? <laughs> Not a one of us. And you know what? You don't even know nor do I even the half of the sins we fell into, both omission and commission sins, things we did and we should have done, and things we should have done we didn't do. We don't even know the half of it. Who's ever loved God with all of his heart, mind, soul, body, and strength? And to not do it is sin. And God says, but guess what? You're forgiven of all your sins. This is an incredible salvation. That's why I call it from the scriptures a so great a salvation. Because that's the greatness of God. And by the way, that's developed even later on as we go through this text. And so he says, have you personally blessed God for this incredible blessing of forgiving you of all your sins? You know, sometimes we categorize sins. Oh, these are really heavy, and they're way down here, and they're weighty. And these up here, they're a little bit shallow. They're okay to do, you know. We do, sometimes do that. God says, no, sin is what? Sin. Yeah, sin is sin. But I'm here to forgive all your sin. What a great salvation that is. But number three, number three, bless God for His healing. Bless Him for His healing. Who heals, verse three, the latter part, who heals all your diseases. Now, you can't miss that physical restoration or healing follows spiritual restoration or healing, can you? Now, it's wonderful that God heals even unsaved people, and we're glad for that, giving them a long life and so forth. But still, I think of 1 Peter 2.24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by His wounds you were healed. Now, that's not physical healing. It's talking about spiritual healing, but guess what? Physical healing also follows that because one day I'm going to be perfect. I know that shocks you, but it's true when I'm home with the Lord. Wonderful. Some of you have gone through very deep waters. I'm aware of that. Maybe I'm not aware of everybody's situation, but you've gone through very deep waters when it comes to your physical health. And some of you can testify that God indeed has stepped in and He has done incredible things. Yes, He may have used the hospitals. He may use the doctors. He may use the medication. He may have used rest. All these things God uses. And sometimes maybe He just stepped in and He healed you. It's a marvelous thing that he has done here. And then there's others that have had your colds. You've had your flus. We just heard from our one son down in Phoenix. And uh, all of his kids and his wife have the flu right now. We're not visiting. Okay. 
And he'll probably have it, he probably has it today, as a matter of fact. But and there's other is physical illnesses, and God has mercifully stepped in and healed you and me and restored us to good health. Have you stopped? Have you thought about it? Have you stopped and said, God, I just want to praise you and bless you that you did that for me? I mean, we take it for granted, and yet God has done that. Even the fact that we are now living much longer lives. I mean, just think 50 years ago, they weren't living as long as people are today. And 100 years, boy, that's really for sure. And God says, even that is a blessing for me, isn't it? As we've, modern science so forth keeps us going there. Bless God for his healing. Number four, though, in personal blessing. Bless God for his protection, deliverance. Bless him for his protection and deliverance. Verse four, the first part. Who redeemed you, your life, who redeemed your life from the pit. Huh. The guy who wrote this knew something about God's protection. Even as a teenager, he tells us he went out there to take care of the woolies. That's the sheep, if you know what they are. And a bear came out. And David said, that bear can't have that sheep or that lamb. And he went after it and took the bear on. Later on, he says, a lion came out. I'm not sure, but I just let him have some mutton. I'd go my way. But anyway, David was in a dangerous situation, but God filled him and he went out there and he was protected from that bear and from that lion. Later on, he'd go up against that giant Goliath, as you recall. And I mean, it says, you're but a youth, and he's been a warrior from his youth. I mean, great big guy, all the armor he had on there, giant of a man comes out and defies the armies of the Lord of hosts. And yet God protected him and delivered him, didn't he? Because he trusted in him. One man put it this way. He said with regard to that John Stevenson, he put it so well. He said, the same God who delivered him from the sword of Goliath rescued his life from the javelin of Saul. I mean, he spent a lot of his time, almost 10 years, fleeing for his life, running from Saul. And sometimes it was just him on one side of the mountain and Saul on the other. Other times he was hidden back in the cave as as Saul was out in front, uh, relieving himself. It's just amazing how God protected him. If we had time, we could have testimonies. Sometimes we need to do that. Or some of you could stand up and say, I want to testify how God has protected me. Because he has, and you know that. I think of myself here a, way, a couple months ago, and uh, I, by our uh, our garage, there's some steps, some cement steps that go down to the little utility shed that we have. And uh, there are two, like this, massive stones there, just on the side of the steps and one just down below that. And then a little bit further, I have this pole, and there's a big chunk of cement there. Well, it was raining, and I went out there, and I went to go down those steps, and I slipped, and I went just tumbled head over heels. How my head never hit the cement steps or those massive stones or that chunk of cement that holds that pole, all I can say is God protect me because had that happened, I really doubt I would be here right now. I really would doubt that. And I wonder how many times that God has done that for you as well as you think back on that. And I'll tell you something, more than ever more, I pray for my safety, Mary's safety, our kids' and grandkids' safety, and your safety as well. And I'll tell you why. Because things have so dramatically changed. Ever heard the word opioid? Oh, yeah. Major, out-of-control situation. What happens when people want opioid? Well, they have to break into houses and get money or whatever and steal. And if you happen to be in the way and they happen to be in a bad mood, you might lose your life or get uh, wounded as you read over and over in the news all the time and hear from the news all the time. And what about marijuana? You know, marijuana. Marijuana, I mean. What about that? I mean, people out there driving, you know, and they're, they're on marijuana. And you think, anytime those are... And they, they admit that the accidents are up on that issue, by the way. I don't know if you're aware of that. And I think it has become a very 
dangerous world. And so I don't only pray for safety, but I stop and say, Lord, thank you. Because at any time I could hear the news that somebody I love, including you that I love, that something has happened to you or your family, it's that such a, that's how volatile and dangerous our world is today. Have you thanked him for your, his protection that he's given you in his deliverance? It wasn't so long ago when that oh so flood. And we got, I think, all three here right now. There's Billy Clark, which is, where are you, Bill? There he is, okay. And then there's Norm over here. And Abel, where are you? Abel right there. What was it, about a half hour to an hour you came through there before that took place? Something like that. I just shudder about that. That three families in this church could have lost their lives. We could have had three funerals. And yet God mercifully, I know the situations where others did lose their lives. I understand that. Who understands the mind of God? But I am so thankful for his protection there. And David says, stop. Give, bless the Lord for his protection for you and his deliverance for you and your family there. Number five, bless God personally for his loving kindness and giving you good things. (laughs) Bless God for his loving kindness in giving you good things. Verse four, the latter part, verse five, who crowns. You with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. I mean, take that sponge and just squeeze out all the, the, the water in that one. They're so loaded there, isn't it? Charles Spurgeon describes this rich blessing from God with these words. He said, Our Lord does nothing by halves. He will not stay his hand till he has gone to the utmost to with his people. Cleansing, healing, redemption are not enough. He must needs make them kings and crown them. And the crown must be far more than precious than if it were made of corruptible things such as silver and gold. It is studded with gems of grace and lined with the velvet of loving kindness. It is decked with the jewels of mercy, but made soft for the head to wear by a lining of tenderness. He continues, He who removed the sentence of death by redeeming us from destruction restores us more than all our former honors by crowning us anew. End of quote. Great quote. God blesses us with a satisfied heart, it says here. I know people, and you know them as well, that have everything. They have their their wealth. They've got their uh, popularity. And they go through life and have whatever they want, and yet they're not satisfied. And yet here the believer in David says he satisfies the heart even while we journey in a fallen foreign land that presently finds itself under the control of our arch enemy, Satan. But in verse 5, we find another thing that God does for us that causes us to bless him. And that is he renews our youth like the eagle. I like that. The older I get, the more I like that, to be honest with you. He renews our youth like the eagle. Around here we do see a lot of eagles. Beautiful creatures. They're majestic birds known for their longevity as well as for their power. Even in old age, God, the indwelling Holy Spirit, renews our strength both spiritually and physically. Let me share with you another psalm a little bit. It's Psalm 71. I'm going to read verses 7 through 9. When you think about the eagle and God renewing your strength. Now, how many of you are above 50 years of age and you don't mind holding your hand up? Are you, you're still able to do that? Okay, good. Okay, good. This is for you. This is, I just want to get that crowd out and select them specially. So Psalm 71, you need to mark this one down. That's a good one. Verses 7 through 9 first. He says, I have become a marvel to many, for you are my strong refuge. 
My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all day long. Do not cast me off in the time of old age. There we go. Do not forsake me when my strength fails. And then I want to drop down to verses 17 to 21. Oh God, he writes, you have taught me from my youth and I still declare your wondrous deeds. And even when I am old and gray, Oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to all who are to come. For your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? And I love this next part here. You have shown me many troubles and distresses. Or rather, you who have shown me many troubles and distresses will revive me again. And will bring me up again from the depth of the earth. Now that's renewing your strength like an eagle there. May you increase my greatness and turn to comfort me. I will also praise you with a harp, even your truth, O my God. To you I will sing praises with the lyre, O Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you and my soul which you have redeemed. My tongue also will utter your righteousness all day long. For they are ashamed... For they are humiliated who seek my hurt. That's a great psalm. I call that kind of one of my psalms there because of that incredible testimony about renewing my strength in my old age as an eagle. Beautiful, beautiful psalm. You know what it reminds me of? Reminds me of another old guy. He was actually older than I am right now. And that's Caleb. Do you recall how old Caleb was when they went into the promised land? A little bit older than Mary. <laughs> he was 85. 85. And he says to Joshua, Behold, I am 85 years old today. Happy birthday, Caleb. I am still as strong today as I was in the days Moses sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war and going out and coming in. I like this guy. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard, you heard that day that Anakim were there, that with great fortified cities. You think he had run. Perhaps the Lord will be with me, and I will drive them out as the Lord has spoken. And that 85-year-old man, he went out there in the strength of the Lord. His strength renewed like that of an eagle, and he conquered those Anakim and took over all their cities and their land. That's what we're talking about. God says, I'll do that spiritually for you. And we give him praise and thanksgiving for that. So those are the personal blessings of the Lord. But now David shifts gears. The next major movement in this outline in Psalm 103 And that is for national blessings. Bless the Lord. For national blessings. Let me read verses 6 through 14. It says, The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the sons of Israel. This is national now. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just as the Father has compassion on His children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear Him. For He Himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. For national blessings, bless the Lord. Number one, bless God for national deliverance. That's what verse 6 is talking about. Bless God for national deliverance. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. 
See, David is now focusing on God's deliverance of the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage here. That's what he's talking about. And the wonderful blessing that God has poured upon him because he is a part of that nation that God has delivered. And by the way, you can certainly apply that to our nation today too, that you're a part of that. When uh, Alan was up here, he was talking about, uh, in praying, he was talking about the freedom to worship the Lord. You saw in the news this last week that, what, 24 or 28 Coptic Christians there in Egypt were going to worship the Lord, and uh, ISIS or whoever it was cut them off and slaughtered 24 of them. Think, Lord, it hasn't happened here yet, but thank you that we have this privilege of coming and corporately worshiping you. But remember your brothers and sisters where this is going on around the world. How important that we bless him for national deliverance. And he talks about those righteous deeds. David speaks of our God's blessings bestowed upon his ancestors when God took them and delivered them out of Egypt. When he poured out his judgments upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians, yet protected his own people. You remember the story? And then when they left Egypt, they plundered the Egyptians. And that was another part of God's blessing for all the years they had served the Egyptians as slaves. And then they got trapped by the Red Sea. You know the story. God opened up the Red Sea. Another one of his righteous acts. And they went through on the dry land. And then as the Egyptians followed them, then he poured the water back over and judged them, killing all of them. They saw his righteous deeds that he provided for them out there in that desert, that fiery desert, cold at night, hot during the day, and all those thousands of people, and millions really, and their livestock. I mean, where did that water come from? Where did that food come from? God's righteous deeds is what we're talking about. They saw his judgments poured out on the Egyptians with those ten plagues that uh, Exodus talks about. I think about our own national deliverance the Revolutionary War and the people that laid down their lives. And if you've studied that at all, you saw the hand of God in that. And our freedoms today that just seem to be disappearing one after another as we forget what took place back there. Even go to World War II, World War I or II, but I think two in particular, and how often God stepped in. Think about uh, there at D-Day and how often he stepped in and mercifully allowed us, even though a lot of people laid down their life, that we could have the freedom we have today. Thank God for the national deliverance that he has given to you and me. But number two, bless God nationally for his written word. Why do I say nationally? Because it came out of the nation of Israel. Bless God for his written word. Verse 7, verse A there. Part A of verse 7. He made known what? His ways. He makes known his acts to the people of Israel. But to Moses, he made known his ways. He spoke face to face with Moses. And what did Moses do? I'll tell you what he did. He wrote it down. Genesis through Deuteronomy. Moses wrote it down. And then God spoke to other men, godly men, and they wrote it down. And you go all the way to the last book of the Bible, which is the book of Revelation that the Apostle John, he wrote that down. He, he tells us, he tells those men of his ways. And now today, how we bless God that through the nation of Israel, And those righteous men, we have God's revelation to you and me. What a treasure this is. What an incredible treasure. It was um, Whitfield. No, that's not the man I want. I'll get it here in a minute. I wrote it down in my notes here. William Tyndale. William Tyndale dared to defy the Roman Catholic Church as well as the um, government of England and translate the Bible. I think it was the 1300s. He translated the Bible so that we could have it in our common language. They tracked him down. They tracked him down. They actually strangled him at the stake and then he burnt him to death. 
because of what he did. It was uh, John Wycliffe, John Wycliffe, who also went around and translated the scriptures and got the written word in the hands of the common people. And the church was so angry with him, they tried to track him down, they couldn't get him in time, and he died. And later on, they exhumed his body, the bones and all, and burnt them, and they threw them in the river. And you know where the river went? It went out to a larger river and finally went out to the sea. And the word of God has, just by way of illustration, gone all over the world. You can't shut God down, can you? Two great men and many, many more who gave us the word of God. But it all started back there with Moses and God revealing himself. And I think about what does the world know about God? Nothing. The unsaved people know nothing about God. Only what they've heard. And then they have to weigh in, do I believe that or not? But I think about you and me that God has revealed to us what? His ways. What a staggering thing that the living God. Here's one. He revealed to you and me that he what? He created the world, the entire universe in how many days? Yeah, six. Literal days or eons of time? Literal days. Literal days, dear ones. That's what he did. And then he moves through the whole redemptive plan as well, and he reveals that to you and me. Guess what? He even tells us how it's all going to turn out. Isn't that great? I love that verse, Enoch, walk with God, because God says, let me begin at the beginning of time in the Bible and just tell you what I'm going to do at the end of time. He walked with God, and what's the rest of it? He was not for what? He was taken. Hey, he was what? Taken. Taken. And Hebrews 11 tells us what it means by taken. He went alive into the very presence of God. I hope it happens before this service is out. You're you're hoping that too. I know I can see that. All right, we'll get on with the scriptures here. Bless God for his written word. It came from the nation of Israel as he revealed himself the way his ways to Moses. And then, number four, bless God for his mercy upon a sinning nation. Oh, oh my. Bless God for his mercy upon a sinning nation nation. Let me read verses 8 through 14. Well, I did that already. He says, he's compassionate, gracious. I love the contrast here. Slow to anger, but what's the opposite? Abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For Here's another contrast. For as high, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great it's his loving kindness, kindness, kind of a comparison there, toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's like a father. I mean, this God, I think of Allah, the Islamic God, he's nothing. He is like a father. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. There is so much there. His loving kindness is immeasurable. When talk about God blessing him for his mercy upon a sinning nation, his loving kindness is immeasurable. His removal of our sins is incomprehensible. And then his relationship to us is filial. He's a father. It reminds me of the prodigal son. That father stood out there with a broken heart every day, every night, longing to see his son come home. Dear one, let me say this. If you're not saved yet, if you're not sure that you're forgiven of all your sins, if you're not sure that you are redeemed, that you've been born again, oh, I plead with you. I mean, I plead with all my heart. Open your heart to Jesus. Open your heart to God and say, I want to be saved. I believe that what Jesus did on that cross, he did for me. He bore all my sin. He bore all my deserved punishment as God poured His wrath out upon His Son. And now God says, the way has been opened. 
The way has been paid. He took all your sin. I'm offering you all His righteousness. He took your death, if you please. I'm offering you His life, eternal life. But it's a matter that you must come and say, I want that. I accept that. I believe that's my only hope. And that's what he's talking about here. And then he takes all those sins. He says he gets rid of them as far as the east is from the west. They never meet. Never meet. I think about God being merciful to the sinning nation. I don't need to go into that. We've gone down the path so deeply, I wonder if we can even never come back. I often wonder, Lord, why is it? And of course, this text does talk about His loving kindness, His compassion, and His mercy. And I say, is that why? Is it because of all the people that are redeemed that you're withholding your hand? Is it because this nation is sort of moving back towards supporting Israel? Is that why? Is it because we're still a sending nation, sending the gospel out through all the whole world? Missionaries going? Is that why? I don't know. I don't know, but I know we've gone deep, deep into our sin as our government, our judicial system has embraced and passed laws that just grieve the heart of God. I don't need to go into that. His loving kindness is eternal. David contrasts it to man's brevity in verses 15 through 18. His loving kindness is conditional. Notice that? It's conditional. Look back at verse 11 again, the latter part. So great is his loving kindness, what? Toward those who fear him. Drop down, if you would, to verses 17 and 18. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who, what? Fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. I like that part. I want my children and my children's children to have that righteousness. But it's on those who fear him. They reverence God and they submit to him. Believing that He is the God of the universe, the Creator, and the only one who could possibly redeem anyone, including my own lost life. And now we move into the nether realm here. We've looked at personal blessing, national blessing. Now He moves into universal blessing. For universal blessings, bless the Lord. Verses 19 through 22. Let me read it. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you who serve Him, doing His will. Bless the Lord, all you works of His, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. For universal blessings, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord for His sovereignty. Bless the Lord for His sovereignty. You might look at the world and think it's out of control. Satan's so powerful. Does slaughters, what was it, 24 Coptic Christians and others around the world. It's like, God, where are you? Don't you care? How come you allow this to happen? And yet he's sovereign. Notice how David moves from personal to national to universal blessing in blessing God. What a great verse, verse 19 is. What a great verse. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His sovereignty rules over all. No wonder the whole universe must bless the Lord. No wonder. Paul blessed God for His sovereignty. I love what he said. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments, and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has first given to him? Thank you, my brother. Thank you, thank you. I do. Thank you. It's only water. (laughs) Thank you, Billy. Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? 
For from him, listen to this, for from him and through him and to him are all things, Paul writes, to him be the glory forever. That's like, bless the Lord, O my soul. That's what Paul is doing there. You know, you trace God's sovereignty, you start with the book of Genesis and you go all the way through Revelation, you're going to see it all over the place. And it will bless your heart. It will strengthen your faith. It will strengthen your walk with God no matter what's happening in this world, no matter what happens in your personal life. It will strengthen you because of God's sovereignty being absolutely in control. And He's my Heavenly Father. He's my God and Savior. What a God. Number two, bless God for His righteous angels. Have you ever done that? Bless God for His righteous angels. Verse 20, Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength, who perform His word, obeying the voice of His word. Now, I know it's the angels that are blessing God, and the righteous angels do that. But I want to bless God for His righteous angels as well. William Greenhill, he describes how these angels bless God by doing His will. You'll like this. Here's what he writes. They hearken to the voice of His word. They look upon God as the great general. And if he gives out the word, they give out their strength and go about his work willingly. They're attentive to his commands. If he says, go smite Herod for his pride. You might remember that. Book of Acts. Go smite Herod for his pride. Balaam for his covetousness. David for his vainglory. Sennacherib for his blasphemy. And Sodom for its uncleanness. Presently, they go. End of quote. We see them in Revelation chapter 4, around God's throne, worshiping Him who sits upon the throne. We see them in chapter 5 of Revelation, worshiping the Lamb as He goes and takes the sealed scroll, which is the title deed to the earth, and He begins to break those scroll, those seals. They see, we see the angels are worshiping Him, and then we see Him through chapter 6 through 19 as they go and mete out the judgments as He breaks each one of those seals. And then we see those eight righteous angels coming back with Him to reap the world. Amazing. Just amazing. And what does the Bible say in Hebrews 1.14? We learn that these righteous angels are all, listen to this, they're all ministering spirits sent out to re-render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. I suspect, I can't prove it. When I get home, it'll be revealed to me. When I went down those steps, lots of cement stepped there, those two massive stones and that chunk of cement holding that pole up, I suspect... Some angel probably was involved in keeping me from dashing my head and my brains out on those rocks. I wonder how many times Satan fully planned. He sent his emissary out. That's a fallen angel. Said, I'm taking you out. I'm going to cripple you for your life. And God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. Gabriel or whoever it is, I'm dispatching you. Get down there and you protect them right now. I wonder how many. Listen, Satan hates you with a venom beyond comprehension. He hates Israel, and he hates God's redeemed people. And he would take you out. By the way, you guys that went through also. He would take you out in a moment's time. One thing I love about this, because you've got some that are going to the mission field here. We're all on the mission field, but some are going to go to another country. And you know, there are people there that would kill them instantly. And God says, nope. Nope, I have sent them there to do a job. Now, there's times when he does. He allows them to go home. He says, you've done your job. I've I've used you the way I want. Now, you're going to go home. That's fine. But I love this whole aspect of what the Bible teaches about angels. By the way, the Bible says you and I are going to judge angels. You ever think about that? That's cool. I'm going to judge an angel? I'll tell you, and, and it's not the righteous. I don't think it's the righteous ones we're going to judge. We're going to judge those fallen evil angels that have been assigned to us that you say, why in the world is life this way? Why? What's going on anyway? 
And of course, get you to pray and seek God, you know, and so forth. But I think those angels are going to have to stand before you that have been signed. And God says, have at them. Oh, isn't that going to be great? Hey, see that fiery pit down there? You can head that way, buddy. You've messed my life up long enough. I'm now perfect. I'm home with the Lord. I think that's going to happen. You say, well, Bill, that's your theology. Okay, that's my theology. I love it. I'll keep it, okay? Great. Then he says, number three, bless God, all you works of His. <laughs> Bless God, all you works of His. That is, just think of the work of God in creation alone, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets, the galaxies. They all bless God, don't they? Just bless God with their order and design and purpose out there. And then I think about the works of God in redemption, and you can trace that all the way through your Bible, and they just bless and magnify God. And then finally, he says, think of His work even in your own life. I mean, you come to the end, and full circle is in, and David says, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul, and all that is within me, I'm going to add there. So number four, bless God, oh, my soul. Not one petition, not one request, just hearts filled full of blessing. You know what? When I think about a world of billions and billions of people, that God pours out His, what we call common grace. They enjoy the sunshine and the rain. They enjoy longevity and good health. They enjoy marriage. They enjoy their children. They enjoy their grandchildren. They enjoy the aesthetics of life. They enjoy it all. And God gives them good food and so forth. Those are called common grace in the Bible. Common. God says, I poured out to them. You know, not a one of them blesses God. That's something. Billions of people created in His image, and not a one of them blesses God. He said, but I've given you a special privilege. I've redeemed you. I've revealed myself to you. You know me. You know my ways. You know the plan of the whole universe that I've laid out in the Scriptures. And I give you the privilege of blessing God. So count your blessings. Name them one by one. Count your blessings. See what God has done. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for a psalm, a chapter in the Bible that didn't ask you for one thing. This is kind of one where you ask us for something. Kind of one where you give us the incredible privilege of blessing you. And Father, there's so much more. We could never exhaust this text. There's so much more to bless you for. But I pray that this week, we your people, we your redeemed people, will just be filled full of praise and thanksgiving. I think of what the writer of Hebrews said. He said, we are to offer you up to you a, a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise to our God, our Savior. So even as we sing the closing song, Father, and, and we do forget, we, we, we go through and we take for granted, we forget so many of the blessings that are poured out upon us beyond, they're incomprehensible, they're wonderful, they're glorious. But as we sing this song, Lord, I pray that from every mouth that sings it, it will be a sacrifice of praise offered to you, a sweet savor of counting our many blessings one by one. In Jesus' your name we pray, amen.